Hey everyone, welcome back. Today's episode is part two of episode 22 of the BASAC View. We're excited to share today's episode with you, but we wanted to start out with a brief warning. This episode contains content related to sexual abuse, sex trafficking, human trafficking, physical abuse, and uses colorful language. This episode is not meant to be listened to by children. And also, if at any time when you're listening to this, you feel overwhelmed, anxious, or you struggle in any way, please reach out to our office at 306-445-0055. Welcome to the BASAC View. We are the Battlefords and Area Sexual Assault Center, and this is an educational podcast about all the topics you hate talking to your kids about. Sex, puberty, body safety, growing up, and most importantly, the power in no, because consent is mandatory. I just want to recap a little bit. Um, So from 2012 to 2014, so 2012, she goes, you go visit her, things are okay. A few months later, things aren't going well. She's escorting along. Then you have the conversation with her and she tells you, you have to come get Callie or someone's gonna, which I'm, I'm sure we're, you're so grateful that in the thick of everything, at least she still made that good choice was to let you know, like, come get this little girl. Um, Yeah, so you go get Callie, you go home. She comes back for a visit, but she's not alone. So it sounds like, you know, she's maybe started with these Kijiji ads to make a little money. And then very quickly, it turned into where not all of her choices were her own, you know, we'll let you go back and visit your family and your daughter, but someone's going with you because we need you to come back. And, and then, you know, you find out about the abuse and the, the beatings that are happening. And then she comes home and starts to get things on track and is hooked back in. And you had mentioned earlier that one of the the men that she was involved with in Alberta had connections to Halifax. So I know you don't yeah. know all the details, but it's possible that she was sort of sent back home to work through the connections that that way, you know, with human trafficking, we see that a lot with girls that that are sort of shipped down the main the main routes from town to town to town and it's and it's all interconnected I know even where we live in North Battleford we've got Saskatoon an hour and hour away we've got Edmonton four hours away we're sort of like a a through way to to the bigger centers and so we see a lot of things coming through our small community that that regular people might not notice but but we pick up on so so 2014 Things are things are bad. She's fallen back into into escorting and being trafficked and um, and gangs and violence. So up until then, have you had like when she was home with you or even when she was out west and you were worried, had you tried to like, was there any RCMP involvement or support with trying to get her safe? from what she was going through? No, and I have nothing good to say about them, so you're probably not going to want to hear anything <laughs> I have to say, and that's no joke. I don't. Like, I reached out 
the Christmas that she, the Christmas that she, um, most of, most of my dealings with the RCMP and the police were after her death. Okay. To them. Um, but I did call the Peel Regional Police because I knew she'd been spending time in Toronto because I'd been talking to her. She was going between Mississauga and Ontario. She was stripped for Toronto. She was stripping in Mississauga. She was escorting in Toronto. Um, she'd send me pictures of these just beautiful meals she was having at the top of the CN Tower, the condo she was living in, like, just, you know, when she was in Toronto, like, the people that she was, you know, with, obviously, were um, putting her up in, you know, in these places, and then she was working while she was there, but over that Christmas of 2014, when she disappeared... I contacted the Peel Regional Police because I couldn't find her, but she had an ad on Backpage. And I said, I'm trying to contact my daughter. I can't find her. I haven't heard anything from her for three weeks. Um, I'm really concerned. Well, what's her physical address? I said, well, she doesn't have one. And they said, well, if she doesn't have a physical address, we can't, we can't help you. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, she's my fucking child and she's fucking missing find my kid. Well, we can't. We have nowhere to go. We don't have a starting point. I said, you don't have a starting point. How about calling her up on her ad that's posted on Backpage where she's selling herself as a fucking prostitute and picking her up and chucking her in jail for me and then I'll just come get her myself and deal with it the way it should be dealt with. And unless she has a physical address we can go to, we can't help you. I said, okay, well then I want to I want to report her as a missing person. Miss Hallman, you can't do that. I said, why not? Because she doesn't have a physical address. It was just bullshit after bullshit after bullshit. And it just, it was awful. So here is this, well, she would have been at the time, she would have been 20 years old, 19, 20 years old. And you're not going to go look for my 19, 20 year old because you're just too fucking busy. You don't have time. Like, you don't have time. She's just another statistic or she's about to be. And so you're not going to do anything to help me. They didn't do anything. I cried. I pulled the crying card. I pulled the bitch mom card. I pulled the knife card. Like, I tried everything I could try. And they did nothing to help me. It's disgusting. And it should be put more in the forefront, especially, like, when I look back now at the lack of help that I had, the lack of guidance not knowing the uncertainty all that was new to me I didn't know anything about human trafficking and prostitution and how they were roped into it all like it was horrible like um you know they they did nothing I um I got her belongings came back from property and exhibit after her accident in Edmonton and I had two telephones um that were returned to me that were hers and one, like when I opened up the bag of the box of all the things that were in there, it's all sealed in plastic and individual pouches. And I pulled it out. And at the very bottom of the pouch was her cell phone and her cell phone charger. And I couldn't believe it. That was the first thing I opened. And I turned it on and it was a pay-to-go phone. So I didn't have like, I had would have had to connect it to the internet to access anything but it wasn't locked there was no passcode there was no like nothing so I had access to everything and everything on her phone was open when I finally did get it connected to internet and that that's a whole entire dip, like another story in itself but basically I 
spent hours going through that phone trying to find, you know, information on things, you know, like, and, and it was gross, the stuff that I found on there, the text messages from men, the, like, it just, it was mind-boggling to me. But I looked at it for a very long time, and then I, one night I just, I'd had enough, I couldn't look anymore, I was exhausted, and I left my bedroom, and I was going to go down the hall, I was home alone. Um, Andrew was a fisherman, so he was usually, he fished a lot, and I was home a lot alone. Um, so I went to go down the hallway, and I tried to go down the hall, and I, I couldn't walk down the hall. It was like somebody was standing in front of me with their hands on my chest, and it was just like I couldn't walk down the last step to go down the hallway. And I felt this incredible presence of Madison. She was just like, don't stop looking at me, my phone. Like, don't stop looking at it, Mom. Like, just keep looking. And I remember just like this was yesterday, and for as many things as I forget, the things that I remember, I remember vividly. And... It was just like she was telling me, like, just don't stop looking. So I went back and I looked at her phone for, like, two more hours. It was, like, one thirty in the morning. And finally I found a voice recording on there that she had sent to her friend, a girl that she had originally moved out there with, was wondering where she'd been and why she hadn't heard anything from her and you need to message me, I'm worried about you. And Madison sent her a voice memo and the voice memo said that she had spent four days in the Grand Prairie Hospital and she said that um, she said Marcus is fucked and she said it was Marcus Dougie, Brendan Henderson and some skinny white boy and they drove me out to a range road and they kicked the fuck out of her and they set her hair on fire and they burned her with cigarettes and they burned her with lighters and they raped her and they stole everything that she had, everything that was given to her by me her jewelry like everything and then they dumped her out in front of her hotel room and she called a taxi and went to the hospital and I have all of those hospital records I have verification of everything that happened to her and everything that she said in that voice recording happened to her and that was true and they did nothing for my child they did nothing they knew who every single one of these people were. She called them out by name. They were all well-known criminals. They'd been involved in multiple attacks in Calgary. They were robbers. They were beat people. They It was gross. It was just gross. And they knew exactly who they were, but they were basically untouchable convicts is what they were, in my opinion, and got away with doing everything that they did. I don't know if it's because of the people they were affiliated with, I don't know if it's because they were working in cahoots with the cops and the drug dealers. I honestly have no idea, but it made no sense to me. They did two year-long investigations, and they just basically said that there was nothing that they could do at the end of every investigation. And the second investigation was initiated because in 2017, when I decided that I fucking had enough, and that I was getting nowhere with the police and nobody was doing anything for my child, I was asked to tell her story. And I said, I will tell the story as long as I can tell the story raw and real and uncensored and that you don't cut anything out of it because that's the only way I will tell it. And they said, that's fine. We'll let you tell it however you want. And so I read 
the voice recording word for word from her phone and my daughter did a live video and my stepson's girlfriend did a live video and those videos were posted on Facebook. They had within five or six days over 100,000 views and don't you suppose after probably two days the pieces of shit that did this to her started coming out of the woodwork and the things that they were saying were just like the girls that were tagging girls in the live video like on Facebook it would come up and it would be we'll say like um, Paula Jean tagged and then she would tag like five and six different girls and then say things like these names exclamation mark exclamation mark and they were comment after comment after comment people just tagging other people you don't do that unless you want to bring that to somebody's attention so I knew that by all of these young girls tagging these other young girls that they knew who these people were and so I started going through more conversations and Madison made a comment about the skinny white boy and then there were even comments about um, in the in the comments on the live video feed about how they knew who the skinny white boy was and they made reference to this E. Blue Joy. And I was like, okay, that's all making sense to me now. So I went back through some of the posts that were on Tori, Madison's little sister's Facebook page, and this E. Blue Joy was the one that popped out the most at me and underneath of um, the video he wrote your family is a bunch of drunk inbred sister and brother fuckers I hope your dead goof sister's corpse was pissed on and her ashes were emptied into a cow manure dump your mother is a whore and she'll be kicking the bucket soon to a slow painful death your whole family are junkie whores like your dead goof sister he posted that on social media. I printed it off. I printed all of the other shit off from all of these people. I printed off the conversation from a girl that I knew that was associated with these guys as well. Messaged me and told me one of the guys wasn't involved. He didn't appreciate me reading his name. He had nothing to do with it. Doesn't know why Madison would, would read his name and such, you know. And I said, she wouldn't have said that if he wasn't a part of it. And if he wants to, you know, rectify this, then he can go to the police station and request to have a lie detector done if he feels that he was outed by her in a wrongful manner. And I, but they didn't do that. But they came to me and they said, you know, you know, man, you got to take that back because he didn't have anything to do with it. But yet they weren't happy with what I was saying. They were coming to me with all this shit and saying all these evil, nasty things. But then again, the police couldn't do anything about that either. Um, I said the last thing that I um, was aware of that was against the law to threaten somebody's life, and they just threatened my life. What are you going to do about that? Well, nothing. So the Crown Attorney basically said that they wouldn't be able to do anything um, with respect to the voice recording and the finger pointing that she did because she wasn't actually physically here to point fingers. Oh. <sighs> I'm so thankful for your raw, honest sharing the story with us. Um, and we will honor that in our sharing of your story also. I just want you to know that. Um, so I just, 
I got I want to just rewind a, a smidge if that's okay. So Yeah, of course. And I know it's and and I and I know that it's you know, it's it's never going to be an easy story for you to share. Um I just want for our listeners, I want people to really understand how gradually this can happen, but at the same time how fast it it happens once it's once it's started. So Madison left. She was back working her way across Canada and ended up back out west. So can you share with us from the time she ended up back out west until she died, if that's okay? Well, I think what happened was... um she left like later in 2014 um and like I said I'm pretty sure she worked her way across um across the country I think that she spent a lot more time in Ontario than I thought and oddly enough um and this is just really strange how this happened to me but um I had forgotten about this guy that she stayed with in Ontario and then something popped up the other day that made me realize that I hadn't read his messages in a while so I punched his name in messenger and I still had the message and so he was the guy that messaged me the day after she died and then told me that they spent a fair bit of time together I think she stayed in Ontario for quite some time because she was staying with him and then it was him that told me that she she had I think she had gone out west maybe once or twice when she was in Ontario and then came back to Ontario like I think she went out west and came back to Ontario and then I think she went back out west again and then never made it back because he said that um, she had come to him and said that she had to had to leave but that she would come back and she said she wanted to come back and stay with him and he told her that she was welcome to come and stay with him if she wanted to so she was uh, I think the last time I talked to her when she was in Ontario she told me she was going to Red Deer well she told me she was going back to Grand Prairie and I asked her why and she wouldn't answer me then she told me that she next time I talked to her she was in Red Deer and she told me she was working and I was just like okay like I never wanted to hear any of that stuff I never wanted to know about it but I always had to be open-minded because like I said if I didn't I would lose touch with her if I tried to tough love her I would lose touch with her like so then I kept in touch with her um, it was Christmas 2014 where she was gone for three weeks. I had no idea where she was. I'm not even certain when she resurfaced. I don't know if it was in the new year. I honestly don't remember. Um, and then 2015, I think when she wound up in Red Deer, then she ended up back in Grand Prairie. Then she went back to Edmonton. She was back and forth between Edmonton and Grand Prairie. And you know what? I think I was just kind of rolling through my days. I think I was just talking to her. I was trying to maintain a relationship with her. I was trying. I honestly, I don't remember a lot about the months before she died and the months after she died. I don't know if it's because I've 
the lost a lot of that out. Um, I don't know if it was just it is just too hard for me to remember. I'm not sure, but um, it was uh, the the spring of 2015, and I was and I was able to go back through messages because I did keep my messages um, from her. Um, I have some of them. And uh, it was just idle chit-chat, you know, I love you, I kiss my baby, I'm going to send you a box soon, um, you know, just random conversation with her. But I knew she was still working. I didn't know a lot of things that were going on. Um, my stepdaughter had gone out um, the Easter weekend, which would have been like April whenever Easter is, April, is it in April or May? Yeah, it's in it April. She had gone out um, to visit, her mother lived out west, and she went out west mm. to visit, and uh, she actually took her son with her, and her son Brody was a year younger. Um, my grandson was a year younger than Callie, and Madison hadn't met him yet, and she was really excited because she wanted to go see Madison and she's like man like we talked the whole time before I got out there and then when I got out there she was literally like not walked off the face of the planet I don't know where she is I'm not sure where she went and I had no idea where she was at that time either I didn't know and uh anyways come to find out that would have been the weekend that she would have gotten beaten really bad um and so she was in the hospital and that's why Aaron couldn't couldn't find her because Madison wasn't available to be found and um so Aaron ended up coming home not seeing Madison and then um that's when I found out I think I was FaceTiming with Madison and I could see that her face was quite swollen but where she had been beaten before and had her jaw broken I suspect she took just the slightest little poke to the face that's on the right side it would have swollen up quite bad I could see telltale signs of her eyes that were still a little bit black and blue. Um, and so I knew something had happened, but she she wasn't telling me anything. So I, I didn't want to question her. I didn't want her to push me away more. But then random things, she was kind of missing. Her phone numbers kept changing. And then it was the 18th of June. And I had basically just, I'd had enough in 2015 I was just like you need to smarten up like you've got a child you need to get you know what are you doing what you're doing is, is bullshit like I just cracked like I couldn't I couldn't be the mom that was going to be accepting of this lifestyle anymore I'm like you have a daughter and you need to get the finger out of your ass and come home and let her be the light at the end of your tunnel like you have a job to do here like you know, why are you just destroying your life or letting these people destroy your life? I didn't understand. I didn't understand human trafficking then. I didn't really know what it was. I, I didn't know that's what was happening with her. Like, I think for the longest time, I just figured that it was her doing it because she could and because she was making money and because she wanted to do it. Like, I didn't realize how um, much more was involved until after she died. And that's only because I just went, you know, PI and started investigating everything and digging into everything myself and then, you know, started trying to put pieces together. But um, that day that I tough loved her, that was like, that was the hardest thing I'd ever had to do. And she never talked to me again after that. So... 
that was the last time I talked to her. And then the next call I got was the call that she'd been killed in a car accident. So, you know, that really sucked. Um, I live with a lot of regrets. I live with a lot of guilt, you know, and I know it's not my fault, but at the end of the day, how do you, how do you believe that when it's your kid and you're the mom and you're supposed to be the one that's protecting your child and you're supposed to be the one that knows everything that's going on and I really knew nothing and it didn't matter like what I did, like I have so many hindsight moments right, you know, right now and I don't think that they'll ever stop. Um, and people say, well, you can't think like that. You can't think like that. Well, you know, until you've lived it, you have no idea, like, how difficult it is and how hard it is to, you know, just to try to get through that without, um, you know, having feelings of guilt. And, and you know, like, I. It, but it's hard. I'll never not feel that way. Like, I know it's not my fault what happened to her. Um but do I feel that there's things I could have or should have done differently? Absolutely. You know, like moms will reach out to me now and say, I think my child's, you know, getting involved. And I'm like, tired of the fucking bed, chain her to her room, lock her door, take away her cell phone until she gets over the little piece of shit that she's having a, you know, conversation with that she thinks she's in love with because she's not in love with them and he's going to ruin her life. Like, you know, when I look back now, I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have said, you know, the hell with my relationship with Andrew um, and being a stepmom. I need to take my kid and I need to take her somewhere and I need to, you know, get her better. And that's ideally what I should have done. Um, and I wish I would have done that, but I didn't. I guess I just figured that I would figure it out or she'd figure it out or things would work out the way they were supposed to. But, um, you know, it's it's just really sad and unfortunate that it all happened this way um but uh it it's it's been nothing short of a nightmare for sure i i can't imagine how difficult it has been for you you and your family and i i think that the feelings of guilt i would think that it would be a normal feeling for a parent you know, it's easy for other people to say, why didn't you do this? Or you should have done that. Or even for ourselves to say, I should have done this, I should have done that. But I mean, this was this was not in a, a short time period, right? And, and at the time, you know, it starts, she's young, she's rebelling, you're doing the best that you can, you have other ch- children to think about. Um, and, and we can only do what we can do as parents. And I think that there's something important that you said too was that you at first thought she was just being rebellious and being a brat and doing what she wanted to do, but that's not actually what it was, what it was for her. Right. And that's something that I want people listening to also understand is we, we blame these, these girls and these women and say, well, they put themselves in that situation or they stayed or why didn't they go home or why didn't they do this? But when they get involved in human trafficking, their choices are taken away. Like we don't know. We know that Madison was beaten and assaulted and abused. And, but we don't know everything else. We don't know what threats were made to her, the, the total control. She might've been making money, but did she have access to it? Like there's so much unknown with human trafficking that that I think people just don't understand. And I think it's easy for someone from the outside looking in to say, you know, she should have done that, you should have done that. 
but unless you're living it and unless you've lived it, I don't really know that you can say that to somebody. And as a parent, that guilt that you feel, I think all of us feel that in situations where we should have done something different and had we not. Um, But I can't imagine, you know, having that hard conversation with Madison and then your next conversation is being informed that she's passed away. Uh, I I don't know that someone could put a timeline on when that's not supposed to feel bad, um, losing your daughter like that. And I think it makes it even worse, too, for me, because when they're in that lifestyle, their entire lifestyle changes. Like, they literally go into survival mode. So if they have no money and they need tampons, they steal it. If they have no money and they need a toothbrush and toothpaste, they steal it. If they have no money and they want some makeup, well, then they steal it. So, you know, it just becomes survival of the fittest, really. Like, whatever they need and they can't buy, they're going to get it somehow, some way. And I understand that my partner didn't want her in our family home because he, she couldn't be trusted. And I and I get that. I didn't trust her myself, and I didn't want her there. Not so much that I didn't want, like, I wouldn't have given two sweet shit, to be honest with you, if it would have been just my home and just my things and my liquor, my weed, my whatever was in the house and she stole it. I would just be like, you know what? I'm trying to do the best I can to help her here, and I'll call her out on this when I can call her out on this. But I wasn't only, you know, the only one. It was the other kids in the house. It was Andrew that didn't want her in the house. It was his house, you know what I mean? Like, who was I to say, you know, like, I, I just couldn't. If if you would could see and understand the whole situation, it, it just wasn't, you know, and Madison and I... I'm I'm actually I'm writing and I'm just currently writing about that now and it was basically how she told me I came home I came home for help from you and you pushed me away you didn't give me help well no you came home because you just wanted to come home and you didn't ask me for help like I would she needed rehabilitation she needed rehab she drank and was drinking a lot and um I know she was doing that to cope. I know she was doing cocaine. I know she was doing that to cope. Um, I'm not trying to make excuses for her, but that, I mean, she had addictive personality. Her father was, you know, was an, an addict, right? He was an alcoholic. Like, so it was there. She had the potential to have a problem, but she was using, you know, because she it was helping her to cope. I mean, who the hell wouldn't, you know? I wouldn't want to have sex with 15, 10 or 15 different guys in a day or even five or six or however many it was or could have possibly been like yeah keep me drunk keep me drugged up because I don't want to know about it you know like so and then when you're drinking like that if you don't have the money then you're going to steal liquor if you don't have new clothes you're going to steal some clothes like so I understand why he didn't want her in the house I get that but you know when I look back on it now if it was my house my place my rules I probably would have brought her in and tried to you know let her stay there and see if I could have just got her back to normal but you know then you're putting yourself out there too because you're not sure who are these people she's involved with are they around here will they come here what will they do what are they capable of like I didn't think about any of that stuff, but everybody else was except for me. But I didn't care because she was my kid, and instinctively we protect our kids, right? Mm-hmm. Abso- so, absolutely. You know. And I think it was like you were. There was a no win. It was a no win situation for you because 
You had to do what was best for her. You had to do what was best for you and your other child. And, and I mean, it's like I said earlier, it's, it's hindsight's 2020 and it's, it's tough to, to look back on and, and think, okay, if I would have done this, I should have done that. After Madison passed, that's when you, you yourself, because you weren't being supported by anybody. And I would argue even still today, there's not a lot of information out there about human trafficking, which again is why we really think that this is an important episode to share. We are seeing an increase in activity in our community and it's new for us here. Um, and yeah. so we're really trying to make people to just educate people on, on this. Yeah. So, yeah. so after she passed is when you really, you dug in yourself and you started doing the investigating and you, that's when you realized that she was a victim of human trafficking. Absolutely. And I, I, to this day, am so disappointed in myself because I did so much research and I put so many things together and I kept none of it. Um, I had a liaison police officer from Yarmouth who was my contact, the GP police, like the RCMP. And so I basically, I went in, I did like, I don't know, two or three hour live video um, with them telling them everything I'd found and the information that I knew. Um, They sent that to GP. Um, I gave them all the information that I had put together, all the people that she was associated with, their names, their aliases. Like, I had created a timeline. I don't have any of that stuff anymore. Like, they have all of it. Um, I got really pissed off because I had her cell phone and... They said, well, why don't you send it to us? We'll do a diagnostic because of all the messages that were on her phone um, and the correspondence. And so I sent it to them. And then when they sent it back to me, they closed me out of everything. I couldn't go on her Facebook. I couldn't go on her Instagram. I couldn't go on any of her stuff. They locked me out of everything. And then they told me that it was uh, was just inconclusive. Like they didn't find anything by going through that, which was bullshit. Like, so, you know, I have friends that are police officers that say, well, you know what? You don't know. Maybe they're keeping all that. Maybe there's still an open investigation. Maybe they're still trying to find people. I said, bullshit. These people are criminals. These, the guy that beat her the first time sent her a letter from the Peace River Correctional Center. You know, like, I mean, it doesn't matter. They, they need to be fucking stopped. They need to be you know, put the goddamn brakes on. Like, I'm so frustrated with the fact that they get merely a slap on the wrist when they commit this crime. Nobody is ever held accountable. It's like, well, how do you prove that? Well, how do you know the girl didn't want to go? Give me a fucking break. Look at the pictures. He broke her or broke her jaw. He beat her within minutes of her life. She can't even open her eyes to see because they're blackened and swollen shut. Like, does this piece of shit deserve to be walking the face of the earth and breathe the, the oxygen around us? I don't think so. And if he's done this to Madison, do you think that's the only person he's done that to? I highly doubt it. You know, it's what they do. It's what they live. Like, it's just bullshit. And then they wonder why it just keeps growing. It's not even about a big gang of people doing it anymore it's turning into mom and pop operations because it doesn't take a rocket scientist how to figure out how to traffic a teenage girl and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to pick out the most vulnerable girls or the ones that they think they can suck in 
and they do it and they entice them with drugs and alcohol and the party environment and you know all you have to do is go online listen to some of the rap songs that they sing about you know you can figure it out it's disgusting it's horrible like I don't I can't understand that they can't see that there's you know this is a crisis in our country like you know I just to kind of you know put things into perspective into the times that we're living in now with COVID I was getting into really speaking into the school systems I was speaking to the correctional system the justice system like I was doing a lot of presentations and advocacy for human trafficking and then it got shut down because of COVID so I go to work every day I work as a dental assistant when I go to work I hear all these people talking about how horrible COVID is and how horrible this is and how, and how oh, it's, they get so sick. And finally, I said one day to one of my patients, only because I knew I could get away with it with this particular person, they said, I am so tired of hearing about COVID. I said, I lost my child to human trafficking. That's a crisis in our country. That's something that's a crime that people are getting away with on the daily. Every single day, there's being young, young women and young men affected by this crime. And none of them are being held accountable. None of them are being punished. They don't come forward and tell what's wrong because they're scrutinized every time they do. And then they're made to believe it's their fault. And I said, you know what? It's bullshit. Everything else is put on the back burner. And so nobody's getting educated about human trafficking now because it's too bad. COVID is too bad. But yet at the same time, all the communities like your community are seeing a rise in it because nothing's being done about it. And it's just, you know, it makes no sense, you know, to put that on the back burner and to not educate people and to not, um, you know, to not have people aware of the things that are going on in their community. You know, most people now, there's no punishment for it. It's too much of an issue to even get a cop involved. So people just turn a blind eye because it's easier. And it's and I see that all the time. And it's really, really sad. Yeah, and it's always the the victim is the one who is the one who gets arrested for shoplifting, is the one who gets arrested for prostitution, is the one that dies from addictions. You know, like it seems like the people that are orchestrating all of this, there's you know, you don't hear about the consequences for them. So no, there was there was a couple of two people that were um, charged with human trafficking and and uh, they were recommending the female half of the couple that was charged get four years and then her defense attorney said you can't put her lock her up for four years that would be detrimental to her mental health I'm like are you kidding me she trafficked a 16 year old girl across New, New Brunswick and Toronto they said they couldn't prosecute because it was out of their jurisdiction because they couldn't prove it. Here's a young girl coming forward telling her whole story of what happened to her and nobody's listening. And then the defense lawyer says, oh, you can't put my client in jail for four years. That's going to be too hard on her head. Like, you know, it's the justice system is ass backwards. Like, it just, I'm so over it. I'm so disappointed in it. I have nothing good to say about it. They say there's all this money that's being allocated for human trafficking survivors. Really? Well, where are they and how come you're not helping them all? They don't come forward because they know they're not going to get the help they deserve. So they just live their life in turmoil. Like, it's awful. It's disgusting. So no charges because the man that was in the car with her 
died in the accident also. There's never been any charges related to Madison's involvement with human trafficking, Madison's um, abuse that she suffered, her death, nothing. There's never been any sort of consequence for anyone involved in what what led to her death. No, and the one guy that she did message, this Dougie guy that she named, I found out who he was, I found out all of his information, I found out everything about him, I found the girls out west that filled me in on who he was as a person, or lack thereof, and then this girl, a mutual friend of Madison and mine, I'm pretty sure she was involved in it as well, she was the one that reached out and messaged me and said, I'm with him right now. Um, he's not an animal, he's not a monster, he doesn't know why Madison would ever say he was involved, he wants to take a polygraph test, he wants to prove that he had nothing to do with this, he wants to have some peace, I'm like, peace, are you kidding me? It's been how many years? Two years, and he's lived with this, and he's not said anything to anyone, yet now, because I call out all these pieces of shit, because I read her voicemail, now he wants to make peace with his with himself. Why why wasn't he telling some peace? Because his words were, I know what happened, I know who did it, I know why they did it. I won't name names, but I will tell you what happened. Well, if you know all that, then you should be telling the police that. I showed all that information to the Grand Prairie police. I said, He knows what happened. He's telling me he knows what happened. He's telling me he wasn't there when she got beaten, but he wants to clear his name. So you need to talk to him. And you know what the RCMP said to me? We can't force him to come in here. I said, okay, so if he put a motherfucking gun in her mouth, pulled the trigger and blew her head off after he beat her, raped her, and tortured her, I said, would you bring him in for questioning men? Oh, of course we would, Miss Holloman, because then he would have, you know, he would have committed murder. I said, well, he did commit murder. He committed murder when he did all those other things to my child. Because if my child were to come home tomorrow, she would never be the child that I knew. Because he fucking murdered who she was. So I said, you need to start doing your damn job. Because they did nothing. They did absolutely nothing but fuck the dog, in my opinion. And make excuse after excuse as to why they can't bring in a well-known criminal and question him over the beating of my daughter. You know, like, give him a polygraph test. If he says he wants to take it, it's right there on paper. He wants to take a polygraph test. Give him one. See if he passes. Because I'm pretty sure he wouldn't. And they told me that they were interviewing um, multiple people with respect to the voice recording, but that nobody would admit to knowing anything. So then why did they take the time to sit down and message me on Facebook if they knew nothing? You know, like, none of it makes any sense to me. Absolutely none of it. Like, none of it. And there was never any justice served for my child. So it's a hard pill to swallow, and it's very hard to have faith in, you know, I told them, they're the RCMP. They're supposed to be the protectors of the people, and they're the protectors of the criminals. And if you ask anybody that's dealt with the RCMP with respect to a human trafficking case, I would probably say 75% of them would feel exactly the same way that I do because they don't do anything for them. And it's terrible. You know, I just, as as a mom myself, I just, I'm, 
I'm sorry that there has never been any justice for your daughter. Nothing will ever make it better. But that's just another layer, right? That, That she didn't even get justice. So if you could give advice to parents or caregivers or even friends, if you could give them advice of what to watch for and what to do if they suspected someone that they loved was involved in human trafficking, what do you think you would say? Well, I I believe a lot of the times it changes for me. Like when, as the more things I learn, I figure out, um, for me, there'd be a lot of people that will and won't agree with this, but I believe that, um, if you're providing a phone for your child, um, you know, say the child doesn't have a job or they're not paying for it themselves, then having that phone is a privilege, not a right. Absolutely. And it, it, it shouldn't be passcoded. And at any given time, if you want to see what's on that phone or see who they're conversing with, then you should be able to say, I want to see who you're chatting with now. Um, I would highly recommend limiting certain social media, like so certain applications to kids until they get older, like Snapchat, even Instagram, um, Facebook for sure. Like I know a lot of young kids have Facebook, but put on your security settings, monitor what they're doing because right now social media is how most of these predators are finding um, the young kids or the young girls, young boys young boys, excuse me, whatever, um, through social media and through Instagram and Snapchat. And a lot of parents don't even know how to use Instagram and Snapchat. Um, you know, make sure that you're, because when you go on there, you can send photos that you might not necessarily see. Once I send it, it, it could disappear, but they can still see it on their end. Um, you know, that's how a lot of these girls are hooking up with different people or like young guys that are saying, oh, well, I want to be your boyfriend, whatever. Um, a lot of control, like if they do have a new boyfriend, someone they're spending time with, even girlfriends, because sometimes there's young girls that recruit young girls for other people. So if they're, you know, spending a lot of time with, say, this one particular friend or a particular boyfriend, like lots of sleepovers, not wanting to be at home, being reclusive, like always in their room, always on social media, um, you know, if they're out with their friends and you typically keep contact with them quite well and you call and you can't get through or they're not answering or it's going right to voicemail or they're not texting you back. Um, I tell, like, my daughter now has her reads on. She has, like, an iPhone. So I can see, like, if I send her a message and she reads it, it pops up that it's been read. So I make sure the reads are on so that I know that she's gotten my message so that hypothetically if someone else had her phone and looked at the message and I could see that it was read, Mm -hmm. um, that's not something they can see on the other side. So I'm like, okay, that's weird. She read my message. Why isn't she messaging me back? Um, Yeah, we know that that they have their phones in their hands 24-7. So I have that on with my kids too. It's like, I know you read it and I know you don't go anywhere without the phone in your hand so now I need you to respond right right and so if you don't get that response um, but the control aspect of it you know like if they do have a new boyfriend and they're not really spending any time with their friends because when you have girlfriends like I know when a girl meets a boy because I remember how it was (laughs) you want to be with your boyfriend all the time 
But I mean, that being said, too, it was a little different when we were kind of going through those stages because we always had a best friend that had a boyfriend that was the best friend of the other boyfriend. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like you were always doing things in groups, so to speak, or mm-hmm. with your girlfriend and, and her boyfriend. And so, you know, just if they're just kind of not, you know, really open to talking to you, if they normally talk to you and normally converse with you and share things with you, and then all of a sudden they're just, they're not, they're secretive or they're acting a little bit, you know, like I said, they're just kind of withdrawing. That's a big, a big thing for me too. But, you know, just, I think it's a drastic change really like because Madison was always really happy and outgoing and and I found when she started getting controlled that she was I mean obviously she was using drugs more too so you can tell because their emotions are all over the map teenagers are hormonal as it is anyway but you know there's red flags um, when I look back just at her moods her moods and her mood swings and how drastic they were and stuff too were a lot more but I think the biggest thing is just social media and and the phone knowing who they're corresponding with and who they're you know texting who they're giving their phone numbers to and and um, just know their friends their circle of friends if their circle of friends all of a sudden changes and they hang out with Susan every day and then all of a sudden Susan's just no longer part of the picture there's probably a reason for that you know like I don't know. Just anything out of the norm would be what I would look for. Um, you know, but controlling thing is the biggest thing is if you're trying to reach your child and you just can't reach them for whatever the reason, and normally you would be able to. That's the biggest red flag for me, I think. Yeah, and I would also encourage parents on Snapchat, there's the My Eyes Only, which is like a little secret thing in Snapchat where they can store messages. So you know, to check all of it. I always tell parents, look, you pay the bill on that phone, you own the phone, it is not the child's phone. So you should get to look at it. And you should like, and I mean, I'm I'm guilty of it too, right? I I get busy, I don't think about things. and, And I don't check my kids social media as much as I should, even though like, I don't have anything specifically to worry about. But just even even my youngest one sometimes I'll hear her watching YouTube and something will perk my ear and I'm like what are what what are you watching over there right like we just yeah. you, you know not to ever put blame on parents but it just to know who they're talking to and know what they're saying and human trafficking I I don't um it's not going to be as easy as someone sending your child a message that says hey I'll give you a hundred dollars if you have sex with me it's going to be like right. I think you're pretty you would be a great model let's do a photo shoot let's you know hang out and and it's very manipulative and it's very ugly and gross but it doesn't appear that way on the outside at the beginning which is the scary part of of human trafficking is that it can look like you know, she's my daughter's got a new boyfriend and he's really sweet and he spends lots of money on her and her takes her on lots of vacations and and you know, there can be an underlying issue there. Not always, but human trafficking it 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 doesn't uh show itself like other yeah. like addiction does or physical abuse does. It's very manipulative and, and very behind the scenes. Yeah, and the girls don't recognize that. I mm-hmm. had one mother call me not long ago, um, just before Christmas, and was, you know, really feeling that her daughter was being groomed for human trafficking. And when I met the daughter, I'm like, oh, like, it, she totally, like, she, 
the guy messaged her. She met him on Instagram, didn't even know who he was. He lived in the city. He hopped on a bus. He came down, like, to the valley. Like, they, you know, it was just that he went to the, um, to, I don't know, wherever they went, Walmart, bought a tent, slept in a park in a tent for, like, two nights. The girl lied to her mom, told her mom that she was staying at a girlfriend's house. Like, I mean... And then, you know, just everything that this kid was saying and doing, you know, and he, and he came from a family in, in, uh, in Spryfield and just everything that the mom was telling me was just like, yeah, okay, this isn't cool. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, will you talk to my daughter? She doesn't really understand human trafficking, doesn't know about it. So I, I said, as long as you don't care if I'm like just open and going to talk to her, like if she's like, well, she might not she might be rude. She might be mean. She might swear at you. I'm like, I don't care if she swears at me if you don't care if I swear back at her. Like, yeah. <laughs> because I'm not taking shit from a 16-year-old kid. Anyway, the, the kid was very naive. And the things, like, you know, just it, it mind-boggled me. Like, so many red flags were waving. And I'm just sitting here shaking my head. I'm trying to think, how am I going to get across to this young girl? And then I just said, you know what, you can't, you can't, I can't beat a dead horse. So I'm not going to try to tell her something if she doesn't want to believe it. But I told her, I said, I will tell you about my child and I will show you a couple pictures of what happened to my child. And it happened to her almost the exact same way that this is happening to you. And I told her just in a nutshell, the story about Madison. And then I showed her the pictures of her being, you know, where she was beaten and everything that had happened. And and that was a real eye opener for her. And I haven't talked to the mom since, but the mom did say that as rebellious as she was when we were having the conversation, she said that um, she opened up to her quite a bit after the fact. Like after I left and they spoke. So I haven't talked to her for a while, so I'm not 100% sure how things are for her right now. But um, I do know that uh, they were, like, you know, I think they were better than what they were when I had first gone there. So at least there's some parents that are having their eyes open. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's never going to be easy. Like, it's never... It's never going to be easy to stay on top of it, I think, you know, without kids feeling like their privacy is being invaded or, you know, that they're, you know, being put under a microscope and you don't trust me and, you know, it's not that. It's hard to get that across to them that you're Mm -hmm. not trying to be that way. Um, It is tough. It's tough, but you got to look out for your kids. And, you know, aside from that, I would say educate them tell them about it you know like I if you're going to teach safe sex to kids in grade six um you know and this is something that I'm 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 beside myself right now because Madison's little girl is going into grade six next year she's 10 years old going to turn 11 in July and she'll be heading into grade six next fall and I'm like, I've always maintained if you're going to teach children about safe sex in grade six, then you need to be teaching them about human trafficking because they need to know about it because that starts early. And, and I have to have this conversation with Callie May, and I'm scared to death, and I have less than a year to do it. And I don't know how the time went by that fast, but my biggest fear is that she went to school with... Um, Sally goes to school with a lot of children that are children of Madison's friends. 
And so, you know, it's only going to take that one friend that really didn't give two sweet shits about Madison to look at their kid and say, oh, yeah, you go to school with Callie. Her mother was a prostitute. And then that kid to go to school and say, oh, I know your mom was a prostitute. You know, so I need to have this conversation with her so she understands that her mother wasn't a prostitute. Her mother was human traffic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she wasn't a sex worker because she wanted to be a sex worker. She was forced into what she had to do. And I just, you know, I'm I'm petrified to have to have that conversation with her. It's a horrible thing to have to even think about. I can't Im- I can't imagine having to having to do that. But the fact that you were, you know, thinking ahead to do that um, is is good, right? Because it's not a, it's not going to be a good conversation. But her hearing it from you is much better than some kid on the playground that's trying to be mean and hurtful for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are so, so, so I can't even express how thankful we are that you shared Madison's story with us today. Um, But before we wrap up, do you want to just like maybe give us a an update on like how you're doing? How's Callie doing? Is she liking school? Um, Actually... Things are good. This is always hard for me, too, because I hate saying that things are good. You know, like, it sucks. It's really hard. Um, But, uh, so Madison's little sister was 16 years old. She was the one that took the phone call um, because Andrew and I weren't home. We were trying to salvage our relationship. We were away for that weekend and a couple days during the week. So at 16, she's the one that actually wasn't a call. It was the police at the door, and she answered the door. Um, And so she was the one that was told that her sister was killed um, at 16 years old. And if you knew Tori, Tori at 16 was more like a 14-year-old or a 13-year-old. She was just happy to be young, happy to be living her life, and happy to be home and have a roof over her head and not have to really do a whole lot for herself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she was just a young 16-year-old. So that was very tragic for her. Um, she's just graduated um, last year from Acadia University, and she um, graduated with a Bachelor of Science major in psychology um, and made the dean's list. So, yeah, like I'm super proud of her despite everything she's gone through because this has been a roller coaster for her too because she's had to you know, be supportive for me and, you know, be there with me while I've been telling Madison's story on occasion. Um, And it hasn't been easy for her. And of course, she's pretty much always in the limelight because when I do presentations and advocacy work, you know, people know what I'm doing. And so people know who she is. So, you know, it's been a little bit rough for her, but she's doing incredible. Um, Callie, Callie just fills my heart like moving back to the valley was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life because Callie and I literally spent probably 90% of our time together she was with me all of the time her father is amazing he's incredible but he knew the bond that she and I had and still have and he knew that it was important for me to spend that time with her I really needed to be with her but also because Callie needed a mom and didn't have one and I was basically mom nan to her. Um, and she is, um, I put her, I talked to her dad because I wanted her to go in French immersion because I knew that that's what um, her mom would want. 
So I'm happy to say that at 10 years old, she's completely bilingual now, um, which is incredible for me. It's hard because I think her mom would be like over the moon happy to know how well she's doing. She reminds me a lot of her mom because of her strengths and her personality and the way that she acts. But she's also very much like Tori because she's very young for a 10 year old. And I love seeing that um, she's not wanting to grow up super fast. Um, But she's a great little kid. And I, I see her as much as I can see her. She comes up and, you know, she spends her birthday with us up here. She spent Christmas with us here. Um, so, you know, we spend a lot of time together, too. But she's doing amazing. Um, and myself, I'm, you know, I'm settling in. I had to move back to the Valley because it was time for, time for me because um, I had put everything and everybody else ahead of my needs and my wants and, you know, I needed to do things that were going to be better for my mental health. So that's why I ended up moving back to the Valley. Um, I started um, writing more and I actually have a publisher that's interested in reading my manuscript. So I've been working very diligently over the last probably month and a half to try to you know, get that all put together and I'm about a third of the way through it now and I figure probably in another month, maybe two at the very most, I'll have everything all put together and I'll send it off and, you know, hopefully they're going to enjoy it as much as, you know, I feel it's it's an incredibly great story. It's not a great story, but it's turning out to be, you know, a good piece of work for me and um, I'm hoping that they're going to feel the same way and then within the next year or so I'm hoping that you'll be able to you know, actually pick up a book on Madison's story and, and you'll be able to read it all. I can't wait. Please, please let us know. I'm sure Absolutely. we'll keep in touch. Um, but yeah, let us know because I cannot wait to read it and I'm sure it's going to be amazing and thoughtful and and you know share Madison's whole story um not just what happened to her so I'm grateful that we were able to have this conversation I'm hoping that anyone that's listening will you know learn something um and remember this conversation it's an important one that needs to needs to be had and so Uh, If you don't have anything else to add, I don't think I have any more questions. No, I'm, I'm good. That's awesome. I'm so grateful that you guys reached out and, um, you know, wanted to hear Madison's story. I'm very appreciative of it. And I'm very happy that you're sharing. 